Should we retire the term wealth tech and replace it with advisor tech? And if so, can we find some new categories of advisor tech that could shake things up in the industry? And with all these new apps coming down, are there just too many? Are advisors getting confused? All this and more on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, Contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Welcome back, and I'm glad you're here for this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz. And we're bringing you new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology innovation in the wealth management industry. I'm a strategy consultant, and I also run a consulting firm that helps broker-dealers, banks, asset managers, and fintechs make better technology and strategy decisions. And I'd like to remind you to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes, which would be a tragedy. So sit back and enjoy this episode. And welcome to this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. And with me today is Michael Keatsis, who has the following intro, publisher of the Nerd's Eye View blog, partner and director of research at Pinnacle Advisory Group, co-founder of the XY Planning Network and AdvicePay, host of the Advisor Success podcast and the Keatsis and Carl podcast. <sighs> Michael, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here, Craig. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, this has been something we've been planning for months and months, and I'm glad I could fit. I could, you could fit me into your schedule, man. You're you're crazy busy. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Was as uh, I guess your 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 intro kind of implied. I, I I wear a few different hats these days. It's uh, it's very fun. It gives me a really cool wide look at all the stuff that's happened in the industry in all directions, and uh, and it leads to a slightly overscheduled life where sometimes it's. A little tough to fit podcasts in, so I, I appreciate you uh, uh, you working with me to kind of squeeze in this this time that we managed to get together. Uh, when we planned it like six months ago, so I was looking forward to it. Absolutely, and, uh, I could have added commentator, speaker, educator, financial planner. I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, what can I say? Influencer, Twitter upsetter. Yes, uh, probably a lot of that Twitter upsetter. I, uh, I I do like to just say it how it is, and uh, and and we have an interesting we have an interesting industry these days. You know, I think there's well both a lot to say about it as uh, as I think we'll we'll talk about today, and and just a lot to do about it. You know, at the at the end of the day, part of why I'm involved in so many different businesses is I, I'm I'm just one of those people that when I when I look at the landscape, I I see the gaps, I see the holes, I see the like hey, why isn't anybody doing this thing? And so even in terms of my own uh, 
career, like I think I, I spent the first 10, 10 years of my career just kind of living the advisor industry and dealing with all those things. And then I spent about mm-hmm. 10 years of it uh, kind of commentating on those things. So you're running our uh, Nerds Eye View blog and doing a lot of speaking for the industry. And, and, and you know, now as I'm into my 40s itself, I'm, I'm kind of at that career stage where I'm, I'm ready to stop just commentating about these problems and start <laughs> actually solving them myself. And, right. uh, or not myself, but bringing together people and teams and building businesses to solve them. And, and you know, now suddenly I find myself involved with about eight different businesses that are, are trying to solve a lot of different problems or challenges and opportunities in the advisor landscape. Yeah. And you, you made a, a comment earlier before we started where you said something you do in your spare time. And I'm, I'm calling yeah. BS on that because you don't have any spare time. It's impossible. No, yeah, that's true. There's really not a lot of spare time at this point. I, I work, I sleep, I play with my children, uh, and that's about it. And uh, and fortunately, most of that happens in the same space. I, I actually mostly work from home office these days. I'm only in our advisory firm office or our XYPN offices uh, uh, on a limited portion of my time. And so uh, oh, yeah. have, having an office down the hallway from my bedroom and walking across the kids' rooms uh, uh, on that daily 12-foot commute mm-hmm. uh, it definitely makes it a little bit more manageable for a crazy life. I hear you. I'm sorry. I got the exact same setup. So it's, you can't beat it. But you mentioned XYPN, and I want to talk about XYPN. And I want to talk about the recent advisor tech competition notice i didn't call it the fintech competition yes i the advisor tech competition i I appreciate that i uh uh yeah they we have even i think this this naming challenge right now of of what to call this technology that's cropping up in our in our industry you know we we called it fintech for a while but i feel like functionally most things fintech these days, it seems, are basically like payments companies and blockchain companies uh, that you know want to exactly. change, change the entire world and have multi-billion-dollar unicorn market caps. And and then we got this category of wealth tech, which I think in practice kind of became a little bit of a euphemism for wealth management, i.e., investment management, and essentially were you know, portfolio design and management tools, so-called robo tools that uh, that get used by enterprises, and and not that there's anything wrong with that and those those tools and what they do, but you know, I view us as an industry in transition from people that we called financial advisors in air quotes, but functionally they were uh, product distributors. Like we sold insurance and investment products either for our captive companies or as uh, intermediaries through distributors, otherwise known as broker dealers. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're getting into this world where we're actually in the advice business for the sake of giving advice. And when you're really in the advice business, you actually need a whole different set of tools and technology that largely don't exist today. And so uh, part of the reason we actually created our fintech competition at XYPN Live was we wanted to create a space for this new next generation of advisor tech, of specifically tools and technologies to support advisors doing the business of advice. And we have a particular focus on uh, uh, trying to support smaller startup firms. So our fintech competition is all new firms by requirement, either less than a million dollars of revenue or launched in the past 12 months, uh, just to make sure we're, we're really trying to support startups and innovation. Right. And they all have to specifically help support the delivery of financial planning services to next generation clients. Uh, XY planning network is for financial planning for Gen X and Gen Y, that's the mm-hmm. XY. Uh, and so the XYPN FinTech competition is specifically around technology advisor tech that supports next generation financial planning 
uh, from new startup companies that are doing cool new stuff. And, and what we're getting now are companies where the, the majority of what's coming to the uh, XYPN uh, advisor tech competition are, are, are literally whole categories of companies that have never existed in the advisor space before. And that's shocking because, you know, you go to more conferences than I do. I go to a lot of conferences. And, but to, to see something new, yep. is, we're, we're always surprised. But to see a whole bunch of things that are new in one, in one, one time period is just unbelievable. Yeah, and, and it's, it's something I've become particularly attuned to because, you know, one of, the, one of the resources now that we've been publishing for the past year or two through Nerds Eye View is, is what we call the, the advisor fintech map. I'll probably soon rebrand it to the advisor tech map. But two years ago, that wasn't a label. So we called it the, the advisor fintech map. And, and you know, we just kind of lay out for advisors, like here's all the different software that exists in different categories. Like here are the players in financial planning software and portfolio management software and CRM and B2B robos and, and, and all these different pieces. And, you know, it, it's kind of a strange thing unto itself. We created the map to like in a very literal and positive sense, be a, a map. If you're trying to figure out where to go to get software to fill in this particular category of problems as an advisor, like here is a map of the companies that do this so you know where to go. Right. Uh, and, and, and frankly, what it's become in practice for some people uh, is kind of a punchline to a joke. Uh, you know, dear enterprise or dear advisor, you're trying to find some technology here's a map of what it looks like. And there's a bajillion logos on the map. Like I, I didn't design to be a punchline. You know, it, it is right. what it is. The market does what it's going to do with your solutions. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. As a business uh, creator, sometimes you've got to put them out there and see what happens. But you know, we, we have all these categories with a zillion entrants and, and that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm all for good competition, but what's starting to happen as we really move from, being distributors to being advisors and needing not just fintech, but real advisor tech is we're starting to create new categories on this map that didn't exist before and new companies that are cropping up to fill these new categories. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know you probably feel the same way that there really hasn't been much innovation in our space. There's been some, but not compared to these other spaces you mentioned payments and banking and you know they're the the firms are coming and going very quickly i haven't seen a lot of that until just recently yeah agreed i i think our i think our space has, has frankly been kind of stayed over the past uh 10 years or so i i do think we're starting to see a little bit of mix up and in innovation right now but even even when we look at the the fintech map you know a lot of the new entrants for companies over the past 2 to 3 years are mostly just additions in existing categories. You know, Riskalyze went big and there's like eight new entrants in, in uh, you know, risk tolerance software in the past five years after right. having been basically nothing for 15 years. I mean, like Finimetrica mm-hmm. was the one and only player from the late 90s until essentially Riskalyze showed up uh, exactly. uh, 10 to 15 years later and there was nothing in between and then Riskalyze showed up and went big and now there's like six to eight new entrants in that category. You know, portfolio management, investment management, got a whole bunch of entrants. B2B robo overlays, got a bunch of entrants. Financial applying software, got a bunch of entrants. Like those are sort of the existing stable categories. So more people keep coming in. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to look at like the 17th financial planning software to compete against the other 16. But right. I don't feel like we're seeing as much uh, innovation 
when someone just becomes the 17th competitor in the category, mm -hmm. the ones that are interesting to me are the, the whole new categories that are cropping up. You know, we're tracking five companies that do student loan planning. That category didn't exist two years ago. Uh, yep. We're tracking a whole bunch of software that just does retirement spend down decumulation planning. There was almost nothing there in the past. We've got a whole category of behavioral assessments tools with clients, like how to actually understand their spending and, and uh, investment behavior preferences, not risk tolerance, but like, are you naturally wired to be someone who likes to keep up with the Joneses or not? Because if you are, I know we're going to have spending problems. <laughs> and if you're actually socially indifferent about your spending, you're going to be much easier to coach on savings. And so we're starting to see these new categories begin to, to crop up. Uh, and, and to me, that's like, that's where the exciting uh, innovation now is starting to come. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I'm seeing as well, that we're finally getting some innovative ideas that are coming out. And I wanted to go through a couple of the firms that were at XY yeah, absolutely. Live, uh, advisor tech competition. So let's just go right from the top and talk about the winner. So let's talk about Holistaplan. Yeah. So our, our winner was Holistaplan, uh, you know, entirely new software company uh, in entirely new category. Uh, they're, they're doing dedicated tax planning software and tax planning for Holistaplan is, is, is kind of literal for what they do. They take a client's tax return, they scan it uh, with a whole bunch of, you know, machine learning algorithms about how to pull in all the different uh, information from, a, from a, a client's tax return, and they turn it into actual planning recommendations and observations for clients. Like, mm -hmm. here's your client's tax bracket. Here's how much they are or are not saving their retirement plans. Did you realize that they'd actually be eligible for this retirement plan? They could do more, but they wouldn't be eligible for that retirement plan because their adjusted gross income is too high, which we already know because we pulled that off their tax return. Uh, and it looks like they're not itemizing deductions, but they're in a low tax bracket. So maybe we could focus deduction strategies here and do a Roth conversion over here to fill up this tax bracket because here's the client's low marginal rate. And they're, and they're, you know, they'll take a 500 page tax return that might take an advisor, you know, 30 minutes or 60 minutes or two hours to review. And depending on the advisor, they may or may not actually have the best skill set to evaluate a tax return in detail. Uh, and Holistoplan, you know, scans it and serves up all of their results in about seven seconds, uh, which they did as a live demo on the site oh. at, the, uh, uh, at the FinTech competition just to yeah. show it and, and prove the point. And so you take what for in-depth advice firms, right? Not just the the product distributor firms that don't tend to go very deep on taxes, but the firms that are deep in advice that tend to go deep in tax planning that might spend cumulatively over the year, you know, an hour, uh, you know, an hour per client per year reviewing their latest tax return and trying to get a handle on the planning opportunities, which could be 50 to 100 hours in the year of work time for an advisor or a pair planner. And they turn it into seven seconds per tax return. Uh, with all the with all the observations and potential strategies queued up, and then you just decide what you're going to move forward with. And just what a massive leap forward in advisor tech. We've never seen any software, anything like this. And and their software does it. It it gets it done. It's you know reasonably priced per tax return. It basically comes out to be a couple dollars per tax return if you're doing this right. actively. Which means, you know, for what I as a advisory firm owner have to. Uh, pay even an associate planner to do that tax return analysis. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting a bajillion percent ROI on the whole list of plan software. And, and like almost every software that was uh, in the advisor tech category for us at the competition, 
uh, this was built by an advisor mm-hmm. who, who did this for 10 years in his firm and said, this is a pain in the butt. I've got some programming knowledge mm-hmm. that I think I'm going to put to use. And right. he left his job as an advisor uh, to start a software company solving this problem. It sounds like a common, I, I hear this story a lot. This sounds like uh, Adam Hall at Acid Map. Oh, so many, you know, the, uh, you, when you really look at it at the end of the day, the overwhelming majority of the major players in our advisor tech space are all what, what I call the homegrowns. Mm-hmm. And, and the homegrowns are advisor has problem, can't find solution, gets aggravated, makes own solution, friends hear about solution and want to buy it too, ends out with software company on the side. So <laughs> yeah. you Juncture, ProTracker, mm-hmm. Redtail, uh, Tamarack, Orion, Asset Map, uh, like all of these companies uh, come out of the homegrown journey. And now we're just seeing it continue. Holista Plan was a homegrown build. Uh, mm-hmm. College Aid Pro, which was, our, which was at our uh, uh, advisor tech competition, was a homegrown. And right. a platform called Nudge uh, mm-hmm. that was at our competition, it was also a, a homegrown. It was built by an advisor who said it's really aggravating actually helping clients track and monitor all the financial planning their to-dos they're supposed to do on an ongoing basis. So he made a, cl- a program absolutely called Nudge <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that helps nudge clients around that. Because in a, in a distributor world where advisors mostly sell and distribute products, like all I need is essentially a sales CRM that builds up to the sale. And once I close the sale, I'm done. Right. Well, when you're in the advice business, you know, that first three month process with a client is just the th- first three months of the next 29.7 years I'm going to be working with clients. Mm-hmm. And we actually have almost nothing that helps support clients for the subsequent 29.7 years after the first three months of the financial planning process. Yeah, and true. so up comes companies like Nudge that says, we're going to solve this particular problem because we know advisors have this pain point because they live it as an advisory firm as well. They made a solution for themselves and now they're selling it to the rest of the advisor community. And I want to make a confession here. When I, when I saw the name, I thought it was Knuge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm a really Python fan. So I was like, oh, Knuge, what a great name for a company. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, the, the joys of naming a firm. I mean, this was why you know, even our, our platform, you know, we build advice pay as a homegrown. You know, we had this problem with XY Planning Network that, uh, uh, you know, our advisors do financial planning for a monthly subscription fee. That was kind of the model we invented and put on the map five years ago. But there were no payment processing solutions to actually help you do that. And most right. of the existing payment processors won't actually work with you in this advisor if you tell them that you're an advisor because they, they basically don't know our industry regulations. They don't want to touch them. So they just right. ban financial advisors from their platform. If they find out you're doing it, they'll shut you down. And so like, we, made this pro- we made this software to solve the problem for our, uh, for our XY Planning Network members. And then other RIAs heard we were building it. So we spun it off as a separate company. And then enterprises heard that we were doing it. And you know, large hybrid VDs have this problem at scale. So we went and raised some additional capital and, and ramped up an enterprise solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, cognizant of the naming challenges, I'm very much a fan of just naming companies for what they are. So uh, advice pay, yeah. guess what we do? No one mispronounces it. Exactly. You're not into the, I call it the, um, the pharmaceutical naming convention where you pick a random term. Yes. Nothing and then, and then just like it. make it mean a thing. Yeah. I'm, you know, Advice pay, get what, guess what we do. Uh, you know, I'm also a partner in a business called New Planner Recruiting. Guess who we recruit? Hmm, let me think about that. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about 
one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out donations, or they give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. So uh, let me back up a second. So I've got um, children in college and I've got a child who's planning, who's a junior in high school. So college aid pro piques my interest right away. So why is that unique? Well, I mean, all the, all the financial planning software out there has college tools. They'll, you can pick the college, it'll show you how much it costs. What's different about college age, college aid pro and why do I need it? Yeah. So you know, co- the college tools that are in financial planning software today, to, to the extent we have them, and some, some don't even have what you just described, but, but a few at least go as, as far as what you just described. Those tools are, to me, at the end of the day, uh, like they're, they're distributor sales support tools. What they essentially do is help you show, hey, little Johnny wants to go to Harvard. Here's how much Harvard's going to cost in 17 years. Now that I've scared the bejesus out of you of how much money you need to save, we're going to help you save a whole bunch of money, which coincidentally is going to a 529 plan that I get paid to manage. Uh, so basically, like the software is built to show you, you're going to need a giant pile of money, and I'm here to help you save it. And and not that I'm negative on that, because college actually is really expensive, and you need to save a big pile of money to do it. But but it, it it's essentially built for demonstrating the need to save in the thing that the advisor has to sell. It's what it's not actually built to do is help you actually plan how you are going to pay for college and particularly in a world where granted a subset of affluent clients who do tend to be the people that a lot of advisors work with uh, are are just going to be private paying their own way all the way through for a lot of people there are some opportunities to leverage various forms of financial aid Uh, that may be merit aid that may be scholarships that may be loans there are loans that get special interest treatment and some that don't and some that are private and some that are public and and the rules are actually ludicrously complex and so most planning software essentially is college tools that are really good if your kid is five to 20 years away from college so that you've got a long time horizon to save. We'll show you you need a giant pile of money so that you're scared and save a whole bunch. And then I'll take your money and, and, and invest it for you for that savings journey. But they essentially become uh, useless once you are actually within three or four years of going to college because they don't tell you anything about the actual cash flows about how you are going to pay for college. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. that's what, and that's what College Aid Pro is, was built to do. So it's built by a... a a planner named Joe Messenger, 
uh, who did this in his own firm. And, you know, Joe's sort of great observation in the marketplace is that what most people do is they go pick a college and then they try to figure out how to afford it. And then you get all sorts of right. problems like little Johnny really, really wants to go to the school, but you can't really afford it. But now the parents don't want to let go, let little Johnny down. So we all sure. borrow more money than we should because he got hooked on the college. Or parents so, want, the t- want the sweatshirt of XYZ college that'll impress absolutely. their friends. And, and so Joe's approach says, look, let's actually take in all of your household information, your finances, your income, how that would map onto the FAFSA, which is the financial aid for, uh, forms. And let's figure out what you can actually realistically afford. And we're going to call that your college pre-approved amount, right? I get pre-approved for a mortgage and then I go shop for a home I can actually afford. So Joe essentially built a pre-approval for college process using all of the, frankly, painfully complex that are conducive to software uh, formulas about how financial aid and affordability works and how the loans work and how scholarships work and how actual cost of attendance is calculated, which is a messy thing unto itself, to try to help people figure out, here's what you can actually afford for college. Here's what you are pre-approved for. Now let's figure out which schools fit that, recognizing that well, you can't even just look at the list price of the college because the list mm-hmm. price of the college may not include uh, merit scholarships your child is eligible for, may not include mm-hmm. tuition cost scholarships that are common for a whole lot of schools. The anticipated right. cost of attendance is not the list price. In fact, schools have actually found it helps to list a higher price and then give a bunch of discounts because then people want it more because they think they got an awesome discount. Yeah, they're uh, finally realizing how sales work. Right. Uh, and so you, you can't even just look up what the college costs to actually get a realistic reflection of whether you can afford the college. Mm-hmm. And so College Aid Pro brings all this together into a really deep uh, interface of navigating clients through, here's your financial information, not just your assets saved in 529 plans, but everything. Here's what you may be able to qualify for, either need-based or merit-based. Here's what a realistic cost of attendance actually is, given all the discount, tuition discounts and other things that these schools provide. And let's figure out what school you would really go to that fits with and what the true financial trade-offs are, not based on the list price, but true cost of attendance after true aid calculations. And so it's, yeah. a, it's a level of depth about how to actually navigate and manage the the financial aid and student loan process, you know, now I think like a $1.5 trillion problem in this country. Uh, It's an immense planning opportunity, as I'm sure you're experiencing with college-age children. It's an area of some stress for a whole lot of parents. And, And we've literally never had software that could do anything to help a parent that was actually within three years of college or with kids Mm -hmm. in college. Right. Until along comes College Aid Pro built to do this. Yeah, and, thing, and also a layer on top of that, what your child's GPA is and their test scores. Correct. And they take all of that information in so you can figure out like, hey, you know, your kid's automatically going to qualify for $8,000 of tuition discounts over the next four years because their SAT or ACT scores alone qualifies them for an automatic merit scholarship at this mm-hmm. college, but not these other two. Would that be helpful information to know? Absolutely. That's an, it's an $8,000 deal that I would have had to spend a couple hours on the internet searching for, and their software already has fully cataloged and indexed and just instantly shows you as soon as you start putting information in. This is another great tool that most advisors don't think about. Like you said, they're just showing you how much money you need rather than really being an advisor to other parts of your life. Yep. Yep. And, and, and to me, again, this is the distinction between like wealth tech 
and these tools that were really at the end of the day built around accumulating assets parentheses that we manage. Chain a bad business. I, 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 I'm a partner in a firm that does that. So I'm not, I'm not negative on the business. Uh, but it's very different when you get into what tools do we actually need to deliver more effective advice. And that's where we get into, well, I need a deep tax return analyzer like Holista Plan if I want to actually give tax return advice. And I, I need a tool like College Aid Pro if I'm actually going to give advice on navigating financial aid and paying for college for a client who's actually going off to college. And then if I'm going to help my clients with this on an ongoing basis, I need a tool like Nudge that helps make sure clients are actually implementing their action items on an ongoing basis because people don't do that naturally. If they did, they wouldn't need us as advisors. They would just so do the, all this so stuff and it nudge. would magically I, be done. I need Nudge for my business. I'm a consultant. I mean, my clients need to do stuff during my projects. Yeah. And I, you know, it's how to follow up with them. It's, it's all emails. Here's a list of right. things we need you to do. Right. And so, and so in essence, nudge automates that email process. So you can keep track of the nudges that clients are supposed to get and nudge either gives you, you know, automation to that or templates you can modify, you know, lots of different flexible ways that you can do it, but it, it automates the nudging by emails. And I, I, I don't know if they built it yet or I think they're working towards it, but they're, they're hoping to eventually put in text message nudges as well, mm -hmm. right? Of Things right. that clients probably just need a, a quick text message nudge. Hey, you know, uh, your, your meeting's coming up next week. Just want to make sure we're still on. Yeah, I need that. Right. That's excellent. And does it link into financial planning software? Uh, so at this point, Nudge is, is looking first to build uh, uh, integrations to CRM systems. Right. Because when I, you kind of think about it from a workflow perspective, CRM is usually where I actually record client communication activities. Right. I called oh, the client. Sure. I emailed the client, et cetera. Mm -hmm we log it in there. And so uh, their first build is over to the, uh, to the CRM side for recording all this activity. Although uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the next thing we see them do is start building to the financial planning software, because from the back office end, I record this in the CRM. From the front office end, if I'm particularly, if I'm actually doing holistic financial planning advice, my clients log into their financial planning software. So the client end needs right. to be there, but the advisor workflow end needs to tie to CRM. And so they're, they're kind of building both directions. Yeah. And so why did um, Holistic Plan win? I mean, Nudge and College A Pro sound like awesome applications. So what was, what, 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 you were one of the judges. So why did you pick Holistic Plan over those? So, so I think ultimately Holistic Plan's win was, was based on a couple of pieces. One, just the software stands for itself and does what it's supposed to do. Uh, like, Tax planning and taking in a client's tax return is a really time-consuming process for advisors that are really deep in the advice business. It's a huge need. There's just a monstrous, easy-to-calculate time ROI and staff labor cost ROI on the software. It does exactly what it does. The use case is crystal clear, uh, and, and, and I think the need is very wide because almost any advisory firm that gets deep into their advice processes is having at least some conversations about client tax situations and getting a tax return, even if they're not tax preparers and they're not doing the tax work, like you have to be tax sensitive to what's going on in, in providing recommendations to clients. College sure. Aid Pro we thought was certainly extremely capable for what it, for what it does. Uh, but ultimately it's just a little bit of a narrower software platform. You know, if you are working with clients who are, you know, who have college age children and are dealing with that process in the time in the moment. Uh, college Aid Pro is, is a phenomenal tool for that, but it's a very deep tool. It will probably realistically have a non-trivial learning curve. 
for a firm that wants to do it because it's, you know, it's, it's in both a good and bad way. It's not a lightweight tool. Like you're going to go pretty deep into financial aid planning and how cost of attendance rules work and how tuition right. discounts work and all the rest. And, and this is a big deal because, you know, my, my first daughter, I three daughters, we spent money on a consultant to do this for us. And that was yes. a lot of money. But that's the thing. Like you spent money on an education consultant to do this. It's not a traditional domain of advisors. And while I think that means it's a great business opportunity, particularly when facilitated like with software like College Aid Pro, you know, if I'm already doing any level of tax planning work, I can drop a tax return into Holistic Plan, get that thing out, and I know what to do with it because it fits my advisor training. I probably wouldn't be able to do that with College Aid Pro. I would have to go deeper and learn more and really get deeper into this space and then use this cool, awesome tool. But I think that does narrow its its market a little bit. And so that because of that, we we didn't elevate it all the way to the uh, sure. uh, to the to the top. And and in terms of nudge, you nudge is an interesting one that. You living this in our firm as well. Like, you know, we do long-term relationships with clients. We have a two to three percent turnover rate from year to year, and so most clients are literally staying an average of thirty years or more uh, when you have turnover rates that low. And so we're very sensitive to the pain of just managing all these client to-dos in in the true sense, like nudging them. Hey, did you schedule the appointment with the attorney to get your will updated? And you know, did you? Uh, did you submit that form to do the updated allocations for your 401k plan? Like all these planning recommendations that we do. But the question that did come up from the judges on nudge was in the long run, like from an advisor workflow experience, where does this really live? Like, do I really want to log into a third party platform of nudge to do this? Or do I actually really just want to log into my CRM? And then have my CRM queue up the nudges, which may be what they end out with a workflow perspective, but that's not what they've built yet. They kind of built their own UI UX that you log into. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like the, the, the business case that they're solving, I think is dead on the actual implementation of it. I think is still just left some questions of like, do I really want to buy nudge? Do I want nudge to be integrated with my CRM where I only log into the CRM, which is cool. But then like, show me that, show me how that workflow happens and, and what, and how it works or like, mm-hmm. it, will a CRM system just come along and acquire nudge and say, totally awesome. Yeah. We're just going to deep integrate it into our software and we're going to run with this and make this our differentiator, which is a great opportunity. But then like, I don't actually buy nudge. I buy, you know, CRM system powered by nudge. So well, that goes back to another question I had is, is, and this is something I'm seeing with my broker dealer clients when we're looking at their advisor experience, are, are there too many apps? Well, I, you know, I go back and forth on this part. Part of me kind of feels like yes. And, and, you know, you look at our, our FinTech solutions map and the sheer number of logos on the map. Could uh, you fit any more? Cer- I mean, I, certainly I, gives you, and you, we have to keep making them smaller to fit them in. The, microscope. I was going to say, I need a microscope yeah. to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, we're trying to keep it on one page so that the logos get smaller, the more companies that we add in. Um, you know, yeah. Yes. And no, I, I, I mean, I do literally actually worry that we've just got got so much software it's difficult to navigate that's literally why we made the solutions map like i while i use it for some of the firms that i consult with on the on the fintech side or the advisor side like i originally just made it for advisors because i kept getting all these questions of like you know what what companies are actually doing uh business intelligence software for advisory firms like well geez i'm just gonna make a doggone map <laughs> that has all the things and show it to you so you can just right. go look at the map you don't have to keep calling me no yeah, offense but i can't i can't this. i can't type all these emails at once so mm-hmm. so we like we made it as just a reference guide but when you look at it like yeah the advisor tech category is getting 
getting a bit crowded. And, and I think the fundamental challenge that we're having right now is you know, great to see the proliferation of all this new software and all these new categories. But the increasing mantra from advisors is I want it to all integrate. And, and to me, what, what I want it to all integrate really means at the end of the day is I don't want more things to log into. I want more software yeah. that does more things like I, my business needs are not satisfied, yeah. but, but I don't actually want more software to log into. And so, you know, we, like we took that as a deliberate strategy from the advice pay end that like we architected the system from the back end, assuming that while right now you can log into advice pay to facilitate client payments. We assume that ultimately our software will be used within other portals that of everybody else's software because people don't want more things to log into. Mm -hmm. And so we even did that right. as a conscious decision Although for a lot of just, it's, it's more than just that. That's what we call single sign on. It's more than yeah. that. It's really that you're switching your task switching constantly between Cor different. Interfaces. Correct. Correct. And, and to me, like, it's not just about single sign on like, Hey, I love that e-money and Orion and some of those platforms have, you know, a, a shelf with 47 buttons of all the different things that they're integrated to. And you can click a button and pass mm -hmm. through, but um, like from an adv actual advisor workflow, this saves me no time. Like I, I could have actually mm -hmm. just opened right. a new browser window and clicked my bookmark faster mm -hmm. than logging into your software to go to your connected apps page, to click on one of those, to get a single sign on pass through to a thing I could have just logged into in LastPass in fewer clicks than using your darn integration. True. So, you know, we, I, I feel like right now we've had a lot of companies that have done these, these SSO, uh, integrations so that they can say air quotes were integrated, right? Because advisors say, oh, well, I want more integration. Mm -hmm. And so they go to the vendor and they say, well, who are you integrated with? And they put up like, well, here's 47 companies we're integrated with. But then when you get deeper, like the integrations are all single sign-ons that frankly aren't even faster than just logging in the software directly. The, the piece that we're missing that we're just starting to move towards is no, no, no. Integration doesn't mean single sign-on. The integration means actually integrating workflows to happen in a centralized place that exactly. is not necessarily your, your software, your app, because in practice, advisors tend to anchor on one primary platform. So, you know, it might be a CRM system like Salesforce. It might be their, uh, their advisor platform through, you know, Investnet or, or Pershing or Schwab or TDA, uh, or, or they may try to do it through their own internal portfolio management and reporting systems like Orion. And so there tends to be a primary anchor system. And I think the acknowledgement now that, that we're starting to have in our space is that, you know, some companies are going to win the platform battle and everyone has to build to them and everybody else has to position themselves to be an app in the marketplace, which means right. you don't try to get people to come and buy your software and come directly to you. You have to be built to natively integrate to whatever the platform is that you are working through. Right. And I don't actually see a lot of call it app software in the advisor space being built that way. We all kind of have these aspirations, I think of, well, my platform's going to be so awesome. Everybody's going to come to my website, log into me directly. And, mm -hmm. and we're only now starting to learn that that's probably not actually realistic. We as advisors don't like having a bajillion things to log into. It's certainly exactly. a pain we feel in our own firms. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't know that we have too many apps 
I actually think that we, we just don't have enough software that's built to truly run as an app. Like if you imagine, mm -hmm. hey, you can't get a single thing from the Apple App Store until you go to the company's native website, create an account on their own website, log in, buy the software there, and then you can go back and single sign on from your iPhone to their website to log into their software. Like, no, I, I just, I want to hit the button in the Apple mm -hmm. App Store. I want to have the thing load on my iPhone and I want to hit the button and it runs on my phone. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, you know, the app has to live within the ecosystem of whatever platform it's distributing through. And yes. I think we're in the early stages of that. And, and so it feels disjointed right now because in essence, we have apps that aren't really apps and marketplaces that aren't really marketplaces. And so it feels hard to choose, hard to find things, hard to figure out what really works with what, because everybody says integration, but sometimes the integration is just a single sign-in that passes no data and does nothing useful. Right. Uh, and, and so I think that the, a lot of the marketplace is going to sort itself out over the next few years. You know, I think there are As companies that are, yeah, yeah. I think there are companies that are positioned to be platforms that are going to win and kind of consolidate this sort of power dynamic. I think there are a few that are positioned as platforms that are, are probably going to lose because they actually don't hold as much sway as they, they think, I hope that they do. But you know, what we'll end out with, I think is more anchor platforms and more real app marketplaces. Uh, that ultimately makes it easier for startups to get distribution. Uh, it's better work cases and business cases for advisors. Uh, and, it, and it creates interesting business opportunities for, for platforms to run new kinds of platform models. Yeah. I mean, I wrote about this on my blog probably four years ago. It's, it was, I, call, I called the article, The Battle for the RIA Integration Hub. Yes. Everyone wants to be the hub. Everyone wants to be the hub and not everybody gets to be the hub. Like there are, there are too many hub competitors. You, you do not all get to be the hub. Right. And everyone knows if you're the hub that everyone's integrating into, it's harder to, to get rid of you. You can replace yep. a spoke in the hub that just yep. plugged in, but it's very difficult yep. to replace the hub. But, you know, as, as companies have, have learned in, in, in other platform spaces, you know, uh, 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 you know, there are a lot of companies that have tried to unseat the Apple hub, uh, but, you know, it keeps winning. <laughs> it does. No, and, and a lot it of companies that have tried to unseat them ended up spending immense resources to largely lose that battle. You know, at, at, at best, Android, Google Android kind of got its own unique space and almost mm -hmm. no one else can get anything after the top two. And so in our industry where there's just, you know, a dozen or a few platforms that are all trying to be platforms in various mm -hmm. advisor segments, uh, I, I just, I, I think ultimately we have too many to win that, to win that battle. And, mm -hmm. and notably as the advisor business model changes, I think some of the anchor platforms are, are going to change as well. You know, most of our platforms today are built around where the money is, where the assets mm -hmm. are. And as we go from wealth tech to advisor tech, as we go from asset gathering and product distribution into the advice business for the sake of advice, like, you know, for, for a couple of companies out there, I kind of wonder you know, if, if the future of advisors is getting paid for advice and not necessarily managing assets, what is your business company's purpose in the future of the advisor landscape? And yeah. not and all of them actually have very good answers to that question. No, because that's, it's the innovator's dilemma. That's their, their business model is set up. I mean, you can't just say, well, I want you to change I want you to disrupt yourself. Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible. Very few companies can even think along those lines. Yep. But one, another company I wanted to bring up that was in the XYPN advisor tech competition this year was Altruist. Altruist, sorry. Yes. Uh, would you call them the Robin Hood for RIA custody? 
I don't know, because that's, that's kind of a loaded term, depending on what you think of Robin Hood. That's why I uh, use it. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 don't know, I don't know that I would. I, and I, I don't know, like, I don't mean that as a negative to, to altruists or anything, at least for, for people who think highly of, of Robin Hood and its disruption um, or, or what it's trying to do to disrupt the space. You know, all, uh, altruists at the end of the day is, is, as I would view it, simply trying to be a, a, a modern RA custodian build on modern technology, right? Mm-hmm. Not, well, pretty much everybody else that's uh, struggled with innovation and, and the pace of change in part because, you know, they're still integrating things to stuff that was written in COBOL in 1972. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, when you build this stuff on just modern technology architecture, there's a whole lot of custodial processes you can do radically faster, radically cheaper uh, and and then try to compete for business with a, a less expensive platform and a better client experience, which I think ultimately is what Altruist is trying to be. They're coming and saying, you know, we will be the modern technology next generation uh, RA custodian and look at all the awesome stuff that we can do inexpensively and easily that's still a pain in the butt to do everywhere, everywhere else on everything from client onboarding and opening accounts into, you know, trading and rebalancing and portfolio management. And so I, I certainly think there's a there's a need for um, you know, for a little bit of shakeup and disruption in the in the custodial space, I think custodial technology in general is, has still moved slower than it needs to be to keep pace. And and I'm not insensitive to the bajillion dollars that some of those companies spend on their tech development budgets, but uh, I, I think they're still. I think they're. I think frankly, they're some of them are still paying off a debt, a technology debt overhang of having underdeveloped. Uh, you know, in the, in the late 2000s and, and early 2010s uh, and, you know, kind of had their collective oh blank moment when the robo-advisors launched and, and they said, oh my God, I didn't realize how far behind our technology is. Like, uh, you know, in 2012, I was still opening accounts with most RAA custodians using faxes with follow-up wet mm-hmm. ink signatures. Right. And here comes Betterment where you can open the account, transfer money, fund the account, and be fully invested off your smartphone in less than 30 minutes. Uh, and so I think we're overdue for some kind of technology pressure and maybe a little technology disruption in the RA custodian space. But, mm-hmm. but the distinction is that you know, Robinhood had explosive growth because they gobbled up this whole giant wave of first-time investors investing micro amounts that frankly couldn't even get onto other platforms anyways uh, with, with a very simple entry point into, you know, become a stock investor. I mean, that to me is kind of what it boiled down to at the end of the day. Like, hey, you, you only got $20 a month. Well, we'll let you buy 0.1 fractional shares of Apple until you get a whole share of Apple and you can see what it's like to be a stock mm-hmm. investor. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a fantastic thing and it's really cool and they've certainly gotten a a a huge number of accounts and and brought in a giant new wave of investors who weren't participating in the traditional system but it's not like an advisor world there's hundreds of thousands of advisors who have no custodian who have just been waiting for their opportunity to have a first tech savvy custodian so they could suddenly start growing their businesses and use a platform like altruist i mean the the like the entry to marketplace that Robinhood was able to take care of, but this giant swath of underserved small investors who were tech savvy and wanted what Robinhood was offering, that white space doesn't exist in the RAA world. Uh, you know, if Altruist is going to succeed, mm-hmm. they have to succeed by taking market share from someone else. And mm-hmm. now you get into all the dynamics of switching platforms and making changes 
that is harder for advisors, stressful for advisors, time-consuming for advisors, has real labor costs for advisors, has real threat that not all of your clients are going to come along and be willing to make the change, mm -hmm. all to leave a custodian who at the end of the day doesn't charge me anything because custody is air quotes free. And of course, it's not really free because they're making money on the cash and the order flow and, mm -hmm. and the other stuff that's there. But you know, when I don't pay for my RA custodial uh, platform out of, park, out of pocket, it's really hard to be a lower cost platform that competes on price Yeah, in a, in a marketplace where you can only win by getting people to switch platforms. And so I like, I love conceptually what Altruist is doing. I, you know, like the, the pro advisor, pro innovator in me, like I want them to win for this, like for the sake of pushing the whole industry forward with some positive technology pre uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't know if Altruist is actually going to be the big winger of the next 10 years or if they'll simply leave a big legacy of giving a good push to everybody else. But when everybody else ups their technology as well, mm -hmm. suddenly it's harder for Altruist to differentiate. I mean, even, right. even in the past just few months, you know, Altruist debuted at our fintech competition in September and their big anchor was, you know, because... Uh, because we have built this new modern technology and our costs to run a, a custody platform are so much cheaper than everybody else's, we, unique in the marketplace that no other RA custodian offers, will be an entirely commission-free platform with no trading execution costs for stocks or ETFs. And like that was their big thing because they've saved all this cost on technology by building a modern platform. And now, their and their market differentiator lasted less than three weeks <laughs> before uh, you know uh, interactive brokers did the news, and then Schwab followed, and then TDA followed, and then E-Trade followed, and then Fidelity followed, and here we are with the with the zero commission world. And and so you know already we see like it took three weeks for one of altruists key differentiators to get undermined in a hyper-competitive marketplace and take yet another reason away as to why as an advisor would go through the pain of switching platforms, even for something that may be better in a lot of processes. Like right. I still got away, is the pain of the switching worth what I really get on the other end in a platform that I don't pay for right now and heck now all my trades are free. Uh, yeah, and that's, I was, I was, uh going to say that you don't want to be the low cost provider. That's, that's not a way to, to build a business because there's always someone who couldn't undercut you. Correct. Correct. And, and you know, the, the only thing harder than being a low cost provider is being a startup low cost provider <laughs> because people that actually have economies of scale can just decide, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to give that away for free for what, uh, as well until my startup competitors go away because I can do, you know, the, I mean, I think the estimate was, uh, you know, Schwab's going to lose something like three or four hundred million dollars in uh, in trading commissions when they decided to to quash it down to zero. You know, manageable with their billions of dollars of revenue, but like they evaporated three hundred million dollars of revenue mm. just to maintain competitive pressures against others. So it's hard as even a well-funded startup to compete against someone that's willing to eat $300 million of revenue just to make sure you don't have a price advantage because they've already got trillions of dollars of scale to do so. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so you talk, we, we, we all know the switching pain that is involved with changing custodians. So what do you see as the top three reasons or even the top one reason why advisors would switch custodians if they, if, if a new one were to start up? Oh man. I mean, why, why do we switch custodians? So, 
uh, I, I mean, for well, for some legacy platforms, it, there actually still is a cost piece. I mean, when I look at a lot of why I see advisors come out of, frankly, a, a, a certain subset of broker dealers and into the RA community, sometimes it is driven around, you know, my broker dealer actually saws a lot of these trading costs. And so the RA custodial community is cheaper. And my existing platform only has, you know, one set of technology vendors that are not even necessarily best in class, and they have no ability to quickly iterate out of it. And these custodial platforms have a wider range of more modern technology. And so I think there is an effect that even as some of the RA custodial tech has maybe lagged a little what's capable in the marketplace as both companies like Robo Advisors and Altruist have shown. Uh, there are chunks of the BD community that are still lagging the RA community enough that it's helping to drive that, that change. And so I, I do see a level of technology as driving a switch. Uh, I think there are opportunities for custodians to go after pockets of advisors that do a particular thing. Uh, you know, Folio gained a lot of activity for a while as being one of the only ones that was allowing fractional shares. Trust Company of America had a lot of growth a few years ago by getting really good at model management at scale for TAMP platforms that then built on TCA uh, before E-Trade acquired them in. So you, you can kind of niche your way around. Uh, and, and ultimately, I actually think there was an opportunity uh, for disruption in the custodial space for someone that wants to actually become a fee-only custodian for fee-only advisors. Mm-hmm. And, and, okay. and to me, what a fee-only custodian means is essentially a custodian that doesn't make all of its money off back-end commissions, which okay. is you know, the, the revenue sharing payments, the distribution deals, the payments for order flow, the, the scrapes off the money markets. You know, it's, it would be a custodian that comes to market that says, look, we're, we're just going to charge you an upfront fee like all of you RAs charge for your clients. Uh, you know, some number of basis points and that you could just build right into your fee. And, you know, we're going to give you, you know, true best execution because we're not taking any money for order flow. So we got no interest to do anything but give you best execution. And we're going to give you the highest yielding money marketplace in the marketplace because we, we're, we don't actually make any money off it because you're paying us a fee. So I don't have to make money on the back end. And we'll give you a completely open platform for every single fund company, even though the, even those pesky ones like Vanguard and DFA that don't want to pay rev shares because we don't take any rev shares because we're a fee only platform. Uh, there, there is kind of a strange irony that, you know, the, the fee only movement in particular has grown its entire business on the back of a commission based platform. <laughs> and, and it, and it creates a bunch of misalignments. You know, the, a lot of the RA community today, you know, makes itself look good by sticking it to their custodians. Uh, oh, you make all that money on cash. I'm going to program my rebalancing software to never leave any money in cash. Uh, oh, you make money off order flow. Well, I'm going to hire a trader that actually does the execution directly to make sure that you're not uh, making any money off of that. Uh, and, you know, we, we use the tools and technology at our disposal to dismantle our, our, our custodians business model because it makes us look good in front of our clients when we save them on all these costs. And so if, if a custodial platform wants to realign itself to actually use a fee-only business model that's aligned to the fee-only advisors they're, they're working with, I think there's actually a big opportunity for that in the marketplace because you can now compete with better money markets, better trade execution, more capable tools and technology for whatever trades you want because you're not making money off of it, a wider shelf of solutions that's available because you don't have to take money off the back end and do all of those negotiation and and distribution deals and just making lower cost funds 
uh, available on your platform because now you can openly truly take the absolute lowest cost share class of everything that's out there. You can even get fund companies to make new low cost share classes that would only apply on your fee only platform where they strip out the 12 B ones and the sub TA fees and the rest because you're not taking them because you're charging the advisors in a fee only model. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying this specifically to kind of do a fee only versus commission and that whole debate. That's a mm -hmm. discussion for another day, but just there is a very large and growing stakeholder group of fee only advisors out there. And right now they are in a battle with every single custodial platform to game the custodian's commission system for the benefit of their clients, because that's mm -hmm. how you look good as a fee-only advisor. And I think there's a whole opportunity for real growth with a competing new custodian to actually run the fee-only custody model for fee-only advisors. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And we're out of time. I really appreciate you spending this uh almost an hour with me on, on this. Um, and let me give you My a wrap pleasure. up here. I'm going to do a wrap up um, All right. motion for you. You let me know how I've done. So you can find uh, Michael Keatses at keatses.com. That's K-I-T-C-E-S.com. You can also uh, go to advicepay.com for the advisor billing uh, software business he runs. And you can see Michael at Schwab Impact on nice. November 4th and November 6th, where he will be speaking. Absolutely. Yeah, you're the sixth. Uh, Jeffrey Levine is the fourth. So you're the sixth. Yes, yes. Jeff Levine from our platform is on the fourth. I'm on the sixth doing a uh, kind of a fireside chat uh, conversation around a lot of these ongoing issues and future of the advisor industry with uh, uh, moderated by Fed, Fred Gabriel, who runs Investment News. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I can't be there, but I, I know a lot of advisors will be there. They'll be very interested. To, they'll all be uh, interested to hear what you have to say, as we all are. And thanks so much for your time. This was great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me out. You are welcome, Michael. Talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.